0: No notes uh, for tonight, but that's okay. There's always the refinery index cards, I call them back there, so you guys can kind of write down some notes. So to really dive into what tonight is and kind of the fulfillment of a few things, um, I just want to kind of share a heartbeat with you all of, of the intentionality that our church has for you guys. Um, I, we just came back. Uh, Martha was actually up with us. We just came back from about a a two-and-a-half-day stint of laying out the next 18 months of the spiritual focus of our church. Um, And so we we sat together from pretty much 9 in the morning to 9 at night and then late after talking with each other. But all the main teachers and Pastor Jeff and Pastor Aaron and Martha and Kim Murphy, all of us got together for about two-and-a-half days. And we said, what do we want the flock of Indian Rocks? To start to grow in, what do we want them to deepen in? What do we want to be known for in our community? Um, and the, the the gift of it is is being the youngest pastor on staff. Yeah, Aaron's got me by like ten years, so it's fine. Um, being being one of the younger guys on staff and and being able to just I sat in a room of titans of of men and women who have been doing this selflessly for years and who have guided you guys for so long, and it's been a it was. For me, it was this real, like, I just sat down one night and was like, what in the world is, like, happening? Like, I got to listen to Pastor Jeff expound his heartbeat on the book of Ruth, like, and just seeing his intentionality. I got to see Pastor DJ share his heart for what missions is and should be. I got to see Kim Murphy and Martha laying out things for our children and women's ministry and and all these things. And it was just in that moment, I was like, man, there's no way that this is by accident. Like There's no way that people are this dedicated that God isn't working here at this place. And so tonight is a little bit of a different night. Um, I'm hopefully gonna track way less than I normally do, Um, but I don't have notes so the Spirit could lead a little bit more. I'm just saying, I don't know. We might be here for two hours. Just kidding, Jess is gonna drag me out. Um, (laughs) But I really have felt called, and so we're gonna do something a little different at the end of this message, but what I wanted to just kind of share to you all is kind of a culmination of being able to sit with these men and women of our church and, and hear their heartbeat, but also kind of reflecting on the last year and a half of being here with you guys and being called into this position and, and what it took for me to get here. And so it started off in Galatians chapter two, it really, as I was praying through this, it kind of took me to this, um, or chapter one actually, it kind of took me to this passage of Paul's life. Um, and it's kind of, you know, you almost feel cliche. Sometimes you're like, oh, you know, Paul was such a bad guy. Now he's on fire for Jesus, and that's my testimony, right? Like, we're just like, I'm that bad guy. But I just wanted to read this part for you guys in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11, and this is kind of Paul's call, and so I'm going to be very careful by saying, like, I I was obviously not called the same way Paul was. Paul was an apostle. He had a very very real and, and face-to-face interaction with Jesus, like seeing the Lord. He, he was given the credentials of apostleship. I'm not saying that's me because I'm not an apostle. I'm just a pastor. So, But there's a few key points in this passage, starting in, cha- in verse 11 in chapter 1. It says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So exceedingly zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I do not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and I, remind, uh, and I remained with him for 15 days. And so what Paul is, Paul is really, what he's doing is he's lining up the reality of his apostleship, but there are some key points in the testimony of Paul's life that can be targeted into the pastoral ministry, but can actually be targeted into our lives, right? Some very applicable takeaways in this. First and foremost, the gospel, right? That gospel of Romans 1.16 that Paul wrote to the church saying, for the gospel is the power of salvation, right? I shall not be ashamed of it. Why was he able to not be ashamed of the gospel message? He was not able to be ashamed of it because it wasn't man's. Christianity isn't a man-made religion. Christianity is the one true religion. And that is why I say it here up on stage, and I'll say it, it might even end up on my tombstone at some point. But it is not just relationship, it is religion with relationship. That's why I don't like the saying where it's like, it's not religion, it's relationship. It's It's we're, This is the only true religion that offers genuine relationship. Jesus says it. What is the purest form of religion? To take care of the widows and orphans and to not be defiled by this world. So Jesus is saying there, there is worship. We're called to be living sacrifices. There is a worship element in our life. There is something that we are surrendering our lives to. There is something we are dedicated to. There is something that we worship. There is a liturgy to how we have church. There is a structure within God's family. There's a very religious aspect to it, but it can only become real to us via the relationship. And that's the beauty of the difference that we have as believers. Bless you. See, all other religions and paths of finding fulfillment, what do they tell you? Just take the next step. Pay the next check. Walk the next ladder. Go to the next festival. Right? A lot of them will teach you to do what? They'll teach you to go in here to find the answer, right? Just go, in, go, go into your heart. Go into yourself. When, when things get hard on the outside, dive deeper in. And even into the Old Testament, we're told the deeper we dive into right here, the scarier it gets. Right? It says in Jeremiah, the heart is beyond deceitful. So all those religions that are, you know, and I call Disney a religion sometimes because some people treat it like a religion. Um, you know, I think it's that three bumper stickers that it starts getting a little, I'm just <laughs> I know you but you know what I mean is, is we are the one true religion that, that can be that because it's founded on a relationship. That's not formulated by man. Paul didn't say, yeah, I went off into the wilderness and I went out to Arabia and I didn't talk to anybody because I started doing witchcraft out there and then God revealed himself to me. Right? He didn't use some seer stone to look at the book of Abraham and go, you know what, Mormonism is now a thing. No, he first was struck blind by the revelation of Jesus Christ himself saying, Paul, why do you persecute me? Which is a beautiful picture when we go back into this passage and we read that he says, for you have heard of my former things in verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. How many of you guys know what happened to Stephen? Stephen was stoned to death for looking at the religious leaders of the time and saying, "But how, like, do you not, do you not get it yet?" Ran them through their own head knowledge that they had and showed them the reality of Jesus and what was the beautiful promise and the beautiful revelation given to Stephen in his few moments. I see Jesus. He the heavens were opened up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And so what I never really picked up until we started talking about a series that we're doing here with our church is who was standing there giving the permission for Stephen's death? Paul. This same guy who literally just said, my former life I was persecuting the church. Yeah, in a lot of big ways to the point where we read a lot about his former life And we see it, and all of a sudden, he is given this gospel that is not of man. It was not taught to him, but it was revealed, and and he received it. It was more than just an object lesson to Paul, it was the power of salvation. And so as we think of things tonight, as we, as we kind of think around this reality of, of this, this preaching retreat I just talked about in the church and leadership, see, a lot of Scripture is about leadership. A lot of Scripture is also about servanthood, and that's one of the most beautiful terms that we can have as believers is servant leadership, to not esteem ourselves above others, right? Paul's, again, another champion of it. In his letters, he writes, you know, do not esteem yourself but but put the thoughts of others first press them first while exceedingly doing that to the family of faith he's like man give give love to everybody but you know what make sure that we are loving our eternal family because if you can't love your eternal family how in the world can you go love a sinful world that's like me having a really awesome group of friends and I'm like yeah I'm the I can show brotherly love and like all these things, but then, like, I give my wife not a single ounce of attention. Like, am I, how does my love look if I'm not loving the one person that God gave me to do life to be one flesh with? Like, if we're being honest, I'm not one flesh with Jared. I love the guy, but we're not one flesh. <laughs> right? God said that man should leave his father and mother, and leave and cleave, cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Right? Through that ordained relationship. And so it's this reality of, of this this immense love, and especially to those of the household of faith. And so we start seeing all these things. Paul, what he tells us here in Galatians 1 is he's actually giving us the credentials to why he's able to write all that he writes and call out, all that he calls out in love and and, and challenge all that he does in Scripture. Because nobody would give credence to Paul, and he says it. He's like, you know what? I really don't feel like I need to, but I'm going to. Like, here's the reality. I once murdered the church. I'm now being used by God to go further his church. And so there's this calling out. There's this, There's this beautiful story of Paul's life. And yes, none of us in the room are apostles. And again, if we see the van at Camp Kalakwa, we're going to run away from it, right? We're not going to go near the apostle van. We're going to run away from the apostle van. But we all are called to servant leadership. And we're going to see that here in another passage in just a second. But I wanted you guys to see very clearly that God, when he calls, he calls in very specific ways, we do not serve a God who's, who's weird and mystical, and, and he's like, man, like, am I, like, is this, like, I don't know, like, is that really the gospel message? Like, no, he's clear in the gospel message. He's clear on what sin is. He's clear on what righteousness is. He's clear on how to become justified. He's clear on how to become born again. Some of the things that I think he left mystery were the end time stuff, because he knew if we knew that stuff, we would probably have blown up this planet, Right? Like, he's purposeful in all things, to the point where it even says that Christ doesn't know the time or place in which he will return, right? There's, there are some mysteries, but God is also very specific in a lot of things, and God is also very clear in a lot of ways. And so if we flip just a few verses over into Ephesians 4, I love this. Paul's writing about the unity in the body of Christ. So we see this gospel message, right? He says, for it is this gospel reality that changed my life so that now I could go preach. I did not immediately consult anyone, nor did I go. And right before that, he says, the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart from before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Do we understand the weightiness of just that calling of Paul? Do you think that it was just dumb luck that somebody gave you the gospel? Do you you hear the gospel message and go, man, how lucky am I that I just so happened to stumble on that, that Christian worker at my friend, or Christian friend at my work? God knows. God isn't just like, man, thank goodness John Alec decided to get his act together and start coming on Thursday nights. Right? From before the foundations of this earth, God knows. Right? God knew before the formation of this earth that in 2023, a group of just sinners saved by grace were going to go sit down for two and a half days and be given the beautiful gift of how they should discern the spiritual focus of Indian Rocks. He knew. He knew that a guy named Chad Lubke was supposed to be a youth leader and be blessed with the gift to be able to provide certain things so that we could go do this retreat. He knew it. It wasn't by accident that Chad joined our church some years ago. It wasn't by accident that God made him a hard worker to where he could provide such things. None of these things are accidents. It's not by accident that you're here tonight. And I used to be the guy who thought it was so cheesy to be like, you're here on purpose. I want you to do X, Y, or Z. And now I'm here tonight going, no, you are here on purpose. And I have felt a conviction to talk about it some very specific things tonight but it had to start with this broad reality if i wanted to show you through the life of paul that a lot of us it's through some of his texts in the bible were convinced of the gospel that we were convinced to look a little deeper and yet this guy was literally murdering christians and god still pulled him out and you know what i do want to be cheesy and i want to say if a single person in this room tonight thinks they are too broken, they have made too many mistakes, that they are way past beyond the the ability to be able to be righteous, I want you to tell all those thoughts to shut up. As as the famous theologian K.B. would say, not today, Satan. Satan. But it's so true, and I've, and maybe God has been sovereign in this. That was one of my hot topic words for the last two and a half days: was God's sovereignty. But, um. Man, I think He's just giving me more of a softer heart, even now working with our youth. To just it's, if you still got breath in your lungs. It don't matter how far you've strayed, how, me- how bad you've messed up. think God is sovereign. I love this thing I see on social media that, man, if God's called you to something, he's already taken into account your stupidity. How sweet is that? Like, that's actually scriptural. I, we got it, right? He had an account Paul's religious stupidity and said, guess what? I'm actually going to use the zeal that you have for Judaism, and that's going to be your launch pad for you to go give the gospel to the Gentiles. The guy who didn't want anything to do with Gentiles, let alone the church. I'm going to take everything you thought you were going to use to dismantle the church, to dismantle the Gentiles, and you're going to go preach the gospel to them. And better than that, he says, now there's unity. He looks back at his former life and he says, there has to be unity. So in Ephesians chapter 4. He writes this, in, starting in verse 1, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Stop. This is unity. The, the subsection is unity in the body of Christ. This isn't some exec leadership meeting where only 5% of you are meant to hear this message or meant to hear this passage. This is, this is the body of Christ. Forming its unity to be able to share one focus, one vision, one mission on one message. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. Well, what does that look like? Well, it says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called on one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The moment you surrendered your life to Jesus and were born again, the moment all those weird little things that you might have been good at or fascinated about, God is now shining a revealing light on saying, this is why I've made you had ADHD, so you could go talk forever. I got in trouble for talking in school all the time. I still, Jess says, hey, you swerving a little bit. Sorry, I saw a building. It looked cool. That's the bad part of my ADHD. I haven't crashed yet. Um, but like, he, he loves that I can talk. I can, I have a, It's not always the best gift because then I get late to stuff. But, like, I can talk to most people, right? It just—it was a gift I had that was not always used the best in school, right? Because you're the kid who's like, Mitch, move your desk up against the wall. Everyone else is, like, in the middle of the room. I'm, like, over here, right? Lo and behold, did God have it for me to say, hey, just hold on. For there will be a moment when your talking is needed, (laughs) And I see it now. And I love it. And I wouldn't want my ADHD to ever be gone. Because I learn more about it. And I'm like, man, this is great. I can use this stuff. It was a little hard sitting for like 12 hours that once. I was up and eating. And yeah, it wasn't good for my, for my snacking. I ate a lot of chips. Um, but do we see where the unity falls? See, all of us in this room tonight, probably there's probably a hundred different locations, different avenues of work, different schooling, different things. There's all these different things lined up. And yet, you are all here for one reason. It's either the crazy coworker has beat you down enough to where you're like, all right, I'll go hear about Jesus. You are that crazy co worker. <laughs> who's sitting next to your friend going, yes. Or you just simply wanted to learn more about Jesus. You're not that crazy. Most of us are. We believe in Jesus, and it's the best thing ever, but the world calls us crazy, right? But we have unity on the name of Christ. And then in verse 7 of Ephesians 4, it says this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We jump down a little bit. Into verse eleven, and it says this: It says, "He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain attain to unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about." every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined, held together by by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want all of you to know that you signed up not to be your own anymore. The moment you surrendered your life to King Jesus is the moment you finally took on your authentic self by saying, I don't belong to myself. Right? The moment you surrendered your life to Jesus, you gave back to him what was already his to begin with. if you accepted the gospel and you're like, this is great, I don't have to go to hell, and you just keep living the way you want to, did you truly get the gospel? Or did you just really like the thought of not burning for eternity, but you still want to sin like Satan? Or did you hear that gospel message of a king who died so that you may live And you said, you know what? That's a king I can follow. That's a king that I could surrender my life to. That's a king I want to serve until the day he calls me home or comes back. Because if that's the gospel message that you heard, if that's what he's been maturing you into, and that's okay if some of you might not fully grasp that moment, right? You might be sitting here tonight going, you know what? I've never actually fully got that. But man, that makes sense of the confliction i felt inside, right? Romans 7 I don't do the things that I want to do and I do the things that I don't want to do. It's that that man inside, the spirit is waging war on the flesh going, man, you now belong to King Jesus but yet this side of heaven, your flesh is going to want to still go be an idiot. And every day we surrender our life to say, God, today is yours. Every morning is new mercies. Every day I... You give me new breath. You give me new mercy. You give me new chances. And you call me yours no matter how bad I mess up. How sweet of a king. How different he is of every leader that we've ever seen in our lives that run countries, run businesses. The name of the game is murder everybody until you get to the top. Don't matter. Climb the ladder and climb over bodies on the way up. Our King laid down his life so that our bodies could find restoration, so that they could find hope. And so tonight I ask, I, I do ask, because I do believe that a call to to the Christian life is a call to growth as well. It's a call to challenge, it's a call to maturing, it's a call to a life that's never comfortable anymore. It's a life of conviction. And you might be looking at me going, man, if he's going to call us to something to serve or lead, like, listen, I got four jobs and three classes and a dog I got to babysit. Like, I don't know what more I can do. Guess what? All of those things are great. But you've been called to something higher. You've been called to go out and make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You just so happen to be blessed to have a class where you can go live that out. You have a job where you can go share that message. You have a dog owner that you get to go annoy. Right? Who you are is greater than what you're doing. And if you're in King Jesus tonight, that's going to speak louder than any job title. That's going to speak louder than any relationship. That's going to speak louder than any accomplishment you ever make in life. Because if you don't understand whose you are, you'll never understand why you are, what you're doing. And you've been called. My message tonight, and kind of an offset from our normal series on sex and dating is this, is just as Paul was called out of, of his wretched life, and he became one of the top writers for our New Testament, an amazing apostle, his life was horrible, shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned, betrayed. And yet he would do it all over again to just see one person surrender her life to King Jesus. And so at the end of this message that we're going to wrap up here in a minute, I got one more passage I want to read to you guys tonight. But what makes tonight a little different and why am I talking about leadership is because I am extremely stoked, but I am extremely sad at the same time, because one of our own is being called out. Because one of our own has been able to walk through the fire and test the flames of uncertainty and, and has, has been able to flesh out his call into pastoral himself. And so Trevor, tonight we commission you. Trevor, tonight we're going to send you off. This Sunday is going to be your first Sunday as the associate pastor at Local in St. Pete. And I genuinely, from my heart, want to say that you're a gift. That all of us in this room have been able to witness what Paul talked about in his life. We've seen or heard of the Trevor before Jesus. And we now see what Jesus is doing in you. And so as much as this last passage is a challenge to Trevor and his call out to pastoralship, it's a challenge to all of us because I want you guys to understand what pastors should look like, what pastors should be acting like, and what leadership can look like as a whole. And so if you have your Bibles with you still, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3 talks about some leadership models in the church. And so as we get there, I want, you to, I want you guys to see this. And so Trevor, for you specifically, but also for everyone in this room. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so ladies and gentlemen, when you, when you see men like myself, men like Trevor being called out, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Aaron, when you see these men being called to pastoralship. We should be able to, within not too long, figure out exactly if they're called or not. And though some of these aren't applicable just yet, a lot of them are, Trevor. And I think a lot of us in this room tonight can say that you are sober-minded. You've demonstrated self-control. You're respectable. I, I think almost everyone in this room has probably had a decent conversation with you. You're hospitable. You open your home to our men's R group every other week. You help me catch all the people that I can't catch on a Thursday night. You would help pinch hit for me on Sunday mornings. Always with a smile and a banana, but always with a smile. <laughs> Not violent, but gentle. I mean, I, I don't get to see you every second of the day, but man, I've it's always with a with a humble spirit that difficult conversations are had it's I've never seen you punch anybody in the parking lot, so i mean that's i mean that's fair, <laughs> not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. You manage your household well. I was thoroughly surprised, man, like that apartment's clean, dude like it I was. I don't know if that's applicable per se in this, but it's managed well. Not a recent convert. You're not puffed up in conceit and falling into condemnation of the devil. Uh, Trevor, we, we love you, and I, and I pray for a lot of good conversations here tonight. Um, but I'd just like to ask you to come up here real quick, because I'd like to give you something as we send you. Um, I know from my heart, from Jared's heart, being able to serve with you, from Martha's heart, um, all our leaders in here, um, we just wanted to give you something. And so I wanted to give you this NIV. Ooh, you. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, It hurt a little bit, but <laughs> this NIV Preacher's Bible, and inside are some notes from us um, you. as you go off. And so, Trevor, we love you. You're welcome. I'm almost done, but I just want to keep Trevor up here, and I want to pray real quick. So if you guys can just come pray. With us, let's bow our heads and let's just pray for Trevor. Father, God, you've called him out, and yes, he was—he's been weighing through it. He's done the schooling. He was a Bible faithful Bible teacher here and a couple other places, God, and, and he's just been seeking you so patiently. And God, you've now led him to a flock. God, I'm so thankful for how he served over our young adults, how he's helped us in youth, how he's he's plugged into our school as a chaplain and as a Bible teacher, God, doing other Bible studies outside of that, giving up his own lunch just to be able to teach the Bible, God. Father, there are so many things that even I can say about myself that we are not equipped for just yet. God, we're still so new into all of this, and yet, God, you've given him the qualities of one who is called out. And God, as he matures in this, in this walk of a pastor and as he walks into uh, the not-so-glamorous side of things in that realm and in that flock, Lord, that you give him strength and endurance. That the love for those people will outweigh the phone calls of why did you make this decision, we think it's dumb, or why don't you tuck in your shirt, you know, whatever it might be, God, those phone calls and those emails and those texts are going to come. But so are the phone calls of, hey, one of your youth's dads didn't wake up. We need your help. Those difficult conversations of of stewardship and accountability are gonna come to mind and he's gonna feel alone. He's gonna feel targeted, God. And so I pray he takes the time now to build up men and women around him that will hold him up when it feels like the whole church is falling in on him. And God, most importantly, I pray that he remembers that we're not needed. But my goodness, do you call us and you use us regardless. So God, when he fails, let him fail and then fall right to the foot of the cross. And God, when he is successful, let him throw it all at the foot of the cross. God, allow him to go shepherd well. Allow him to go make more disciples for the kingdom. God, we are so thankful for Trevor and his testimony. We pray that we can celebrate well, that we can just be with him tonight and hang out and and not abandon him. God, I pray that all of us will text him and call him and when we see him or if he stops by on a Thursday night, God, that we will just be so stoked to motivate him and push him and help him to just keep going. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray this all in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.